0: in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Grace. You guys will stand with us. We're going to sing. I'll sing these words in the church.
1: of a confession before God. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Then Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The Word became flesh, and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Father, we come before you this morning as a people who have gathered to declare how great you are, to, to praise you. But we also come as a people who declare and who honestly state that we are sinners, and that we are broken, and that we are far from what you've created us to be. That We don't love our families the way that we should, that we don't don't make decisions with the kind of righteousness that you desire from us, the kind of glory that you've made us for. But Lord, even as we confess that, even as we admit our sin, we also confess that you are a gracious God, a forgiving God, a God who has bridged the divide between our sinfulness and your holiness, and you bring us into your presence, you bring us into your family and into your kingdom. And so, Lord, we continue to praise you and we continue to worship you, not just as as people in awe of an awesome creator, but as a people who have been forgiven and set free by your grace. So we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: your all this heart is living
0: That day, God, and to put our trust in you and the promises that you've given us. Lord, help us to be a people who love you, God, and love others. God, and as we, as we listen, we pray that you will help us to speak through your word and, and teach us. God, help us to be changed and to become more like you. It's in your name I pray. Amen.
1: We were having a little problem squeezing everybody in, but I, I guess I don't see anybody standing in the back. But it, there is plenty of room up front if you want to come on up. Or if y'all have like a gap in between you, if y'all want to scoot in, those of y'all that are kind of in the middle sections, you can open up a, an aisle seat, and people would appreciate that. You um, came in after I introduced myself earlier. My name is Dave, and I'm the pastor here. And we've been studying Matthew together as a church, and we've called this study that we've called it Kingdom Come. And what we've been seeing in Matthew, and we're in Matthew 19, if you, if you have a Bible, you open up to Matthew 19, or if you don't have a Bible, we have some black ones under the chairs. You can grab one of those, we're on page 824. It's Matthew 19, verses 13 through 26. And as we've gone through Matthew, we've seen this tension between uh, the Jesus that we all uh, dreamed of, the glorious day, Jesus, when everything is made right, and, and the Jesus uh, that came through the way of suffering. <laughs> and death in the way of the cross. And, and Matthew is is working out that tension of this Jesus that really is the fulfillment of, of every Old Testament hope. Um, yet he's still a little different than what they expected. And that's kind of the tension that Jesus is working out here, that Matthew is working out here in this book. Um, and of course, we'll, we'll climax in the end with, with him suffering and dying for us, taking our place on the cross. This week, um, we're seeing kind of the increasing... Tension of Jesus calling us to a radical way of living. Um, a lot of commentators, a lot of people that write on the book of Matthew call this section here kind of this change in kingdom values. You know, we looked at marriage last week, and we looked at how uh, marriage is not just kind of something we do on a whim, but it's really all about us giving ourselves away, giving up our own lives for someone else. It's this permanent thing that gives a picture and that uh, points people to Jesus and his love for the church. And this week he continues to kind of unfold how our our kingdom values are are to be radically different than this world. And and he starts in really kind of a tough way. And we've called it this week the impossible kingdom. Because what he's wanting us to kind of sit under and feel the weight of is that the kingdom is impossible. It's not just something we can do on our own strength or by our own abilities. But entering the kingdom and, and living out the kingdom is impossible. It's not something we can do on our own. And so it's a tough message today. I'm going to read uh, through the whole passage for us, 13 through 26, and then we'll pray and ask God to to give us ears to hear to be able to understand what he's saying to us today. Starting in verse 13, Then little children were brought to Jesus' room to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. The disciples thought they were too important. They thought that Jesus was too important to waste his time with children. But this is what Jesus said in verse 14. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Again, giving echoes of what we saw a few weeks ago when Jesus uh, grabbed a little child and said, you can't even get into the kingdom unless you're humble like this this little child. In verse 15, it says, when he had placed his hands on them and blessed them, he went on from there. Verse 16, now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good things must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. (coughs) Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And then he summarizes it with this quote from Leviticus. Love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth, literally many things. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 25, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Let's pray. Father God, we we recognize that we can't even understand this on our own. And we need you to enter into this time and to be here with us. I pray that you would. Um, that you speak to us, that we would hear you and be able to see what you're doing here. That you would open up our eyes and our hearts, and that you would teach us. I pray that your spirit would guide us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this week I, I was able to go to camp with my family, and it was a wonderful time. And uh, one of the folks there was sharing a story that, that one of her friends that had told her about a, a vacation she had had. Um, And and this friend of hers had just had one of these terrible years, you know, when just everything goes wrong. Have y'all ever had a year like that? Or maybe five or ten in a row like that? Um, That's why you're here, right? Um, She just had one of those years where everything went wrong. You know, just nothing was really turning out right for her. And she she was a single mom, and so she was already in a a difficult spot in life. She had young children, which again, is a difficult time when they're young, and they need a lot of help, and need a lot of care, a lot of attention. And so she was just exhausted, and, and one thing after another going wrong. And during the same year, her parents had, had bought a dream home in Florida on a golf course. And so kind of towards the end of this year, she finally had some time and packed up the kids, and they were going to drive out and try to finally get some vacation, try to finally get some rest with her folks in their place down there in Florida on the golf course. And uh, she, was, she was sitting on the back porch one day, you know, trying to finally rest, um, and watching her three year old kind of run around in the backyard and the beautifully, you know, perfectly well kept golf course grass. Everything was green and, and lush there, like it is all the time in Florida, right? Anybody from Florida? Just always green and always perfect. And, and she, was, she was watching him play and, and, you know, just trying to catch a break, trying to kind of catch up, try to, trying to rest. Um, and, and her three year old was kind of getting out, kind of on the edge of the yard. You know, when they're, you're, they're young. You're always kind of like, you're always a little nervous and, and watching them and trying to make sure they don't get too far away. And, and he's getting out on the edge of the lawn and, and he's kind of starting to go over some of these hills on the golf course. Um, and she's thinking, oh, I just, I just want to rest, you know? Like, please, don't, I don't want to have to get up and go chase after him, you know? Uh, okay, just, she was just going to wait and see if he came back a little closer. But he kept, he kept getting farther and she was starting to get up and thinking, okay, I need to, I need to go chase after him now, and she saw him start to go over this, this little ridge, and uh, you know, normally when, when someone goes, you know, their head goes down a hill, you kind of see them slowly going down the hill, but, but his head just like disappeared. Um, so she knew something was really wrong, and so then she knew, okay, I've gotta, I've gotta jump up and go see what's, what's going on. And when she started to make it up over this ridge, she's looking down and, and she sees that an alligator has, has got his little leg in its mouth and is, is pulling him down to suffocate him in the water. And, uh, and she felt like there was nothing she could do. I mean, like, this is an impossible situation. She was up on a high ridge. She didn't think she could even get to him in time. All she could really do was scream and watch this nightmare unfold. Not, not knowing what to do. All, all she knew to do was to scream out for Jesus to help her. And, and, and she saw that as as the most impossible situation and and I know a lot of you are just going to be thinking about this for the next 30 minutes but I'm just going to ask you to kind of put it out of your head for a second if you can if possible if you have the will just just kind of try to shove it aside and and maybe it'll help to look at the picture over here I just want to redirect your attention We, we have this picture today the artwork that we've put together that Chris always does a great job for us with is Is this man standing on one mountain with a huge chasm and another mountain on the other side there with the sun, right? And this is an illustration that uh, if you've grown up in the Christian subculture at all, you've probably seen a million times. A lot of times there's these tracks that explain our, our spiritual situation that say, you know, we're on one side. And then there's our sin that separates us from God. And there's this huge chasm that we can't get across. And that's really a very biblical concept, the, the scriptures teach that, and really I, I think that's what Jesus is trying to get at today, that, that there's this impossible divide. We are in a, an impossible situation. And, and because most of us have been to church before or seen one of those little tracks before, it's easy to cheat, right, and go to the end of the story and go, oh, well, Jesus fixed it, right? But, but Jesus wants us to feel the weight of the impossibility here. Jesus wants us to feel the weight of that chasm, that divide, that that it's impossible, that we can't do it. We can't get across. We're not Evel Knievel. We can't jump it. We can't fly. We we can't make it over that divide. And and this whole passage, this this unfolding of these different stories here, just keeps reemphasizing this impossibility. And while Jesus at the end says, yes, things are possible with God, he... He wants to make sure the disciples get it, and the others get it, that it's impossible with man. With man, this is impossible. And the first thing that we see is that the entry into the kingdom is impossible. It's an impossible entry into the kingdom, and we see this with the little children. And like I said, this is an echo of what we saw a few weeks ago when Jesus took the little children and said, You can't even enter the kingdom unless you humble yourself. That's the requirement. You, you have to be broken. You can't bow up and say, I deserve to be in this kingdom you have to humble yourself and say, I don't deserve this kingdom. I can't get in on my own. I, I'm just like, I'm a little one. I'm a child. I don't have status. I don't have a resume that I can turn in and God will say, okay, you're hired. Look at all that great experience. No, God just throws it out says, you're a sinner just like everybody else. All of us are in that same boat. We're all sinners. Whether you've been wild or whether you've been religious your whole life, we're all sinners that can't do it and can't enter by our own strength. And that's what we learn when we look at the children. First of all, when the children were brought to him, uh, the disciples rebuked him. Because the disciples don't even really get it, right? And we, also disciples of Christ, and we often forget that too. And I just want to make a little side application here. And I don't want to be too heavy handed with this because we don't want to guilt you into things at this church. But I just want you to feel the weight of the reality that Jesus thinks children are important, that Jesus wants to take time with the children. And the disciples are the one that say, we're too busy for kids. We don't have time for kids. That has huge application to a church and, and, and how people are willing or not willing to be involved in children's ministry at a church. It's near to my heart. I was a children's pastor for four years, which to a lot of people meant I wasn't really a pastor, right? And, and at our church, it's often hard for us to want to take time to, to spend time with the kids, ministering to the kids. And, and let's set that aside and let's just think about in our society, just, just how we function in society in our own homes do, do we take time for our kids or is it just our adult world that's most important and uh, we've, we've got generations of kids growing up with parents that don't have time for them that won't take time for them but Jesus will Jesus rebukes his disciples and he rebukes us and he says, bring the kids to me. Let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them, but let them come to me. I want to pray over them. I want to bless them. Don't, don't push them away, but bring them to me. And so we, just, we need to feel the weight of that, first of all. But, but then, I think we need to feel the weight of what Jesus is trying to show again of, of how the kingdom works. That the kingdom belongs to such as these. That, that these are the kinds of people that get into the kingdom. People that are brought. People that are unable. People that have no abilities people that are small. I was thinking about um, my, my son and I went to a swimming a couple of weeks ago, and I had to basically drive through the night to get him there. I like, picked him up at a camp and drove through the night to get him to this other place on the other side of Texas. And uh, he kept offering. He said, Dad, I'll drive for a little while if you want me to. Now, you know, that's funny to some of you, and to some of you it's not because you don't realize my son is 10 and he can't drive. So, you know, so it's was very generous of him, but he can't do it. He can't drive himself. And I found this picture. And, uh, my son's not that small, but, uh, but there's a little toddler and, you know, it's always fun when you have kids to sit them on your lap and pretend you're driving with them. And we used to do that with them when they were little and, you know, don't do it as much now with airbags, but, uh, it, you know, it's something, something that's, that's kind of fun to pretend that the kids can drive. And, uh, but it reminds us that they can't, right? They can't, the children were brought to Jesus. And I think that's just an important little piece, a little word to note in the text, but the children were brought to Jesus. The children didn't like strut up to Jesus, you know, kind of pulling up their chest and saying, "All right, Jesus, check me out. Give me a blessing. Come on." Now, somebody dragged, drug—how do you say that? Anyone, English grammar people? Drag They drug? I don't know. They brought him. That's what the word says. They they brought him to, them to Jesus, and they didn't get there on their own. You know, part part of being a parent is being a chauffeur, is is driving kids everywhere, is getting them places and that's a big part of the task of parenting because they can't get themselves there on their own and I think we need to feel the weight of the impossibility of entering the kingdom Jesus says it's, it's not for you people that think you have it together that think you can do things right that think you're so religious that think you're so smart it's not for you to just walk right in and, and bust the door down and get into this kingdom it's for these other people that are hopeless and don't think they can get in that's who the kingdom is for it's an impossible situation. You don't just you don't just kick the door down of this kingdom. Jesus has to open it for you, and it's only when you realize you can't open it that that entry that way is made for you. And I think the application for us is is, is our own attitude, how we see not just how we see children and, and loving children taking time with with those that are humble, but how we see ourselves. Do you see yourself as someone totally capable that can do anything that's got it all together or do you recognize your own sin i mean that's that's why we we spend time in every worship service saying we need to just stop and pause and say you know god we confess that we're broken that we gather here not um triumphantly as those who have conquered as those who are religious and we're huddled together and the bad people are out there and we're the good christian people in here and are having our little party but we we come confessing that we need you Because we can't do this on our own. We can't live this kingdom life. It's impossible. We need you to bring us in the doors, God. And that's so important to remember. The other thing that we see is there's there's an impossible goodness to the kingdom. There's a goodness uh, to living out the kingdom that's impossible. It's, It's a goodness that we can't reach. It's a righteousness that we can't perform on our own. In verse 16, it says, A man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do? to get eternal life. What good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus, I'm shocked at his boldness, says, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. There's only one who is good. Why why are you asking me, like, what good thing can I do? There's only one who's good. And I think Jesus is thinking, and guess what? It's not you. (laughs) And, And it's not us, right? There's only one who is good. It's not us. We we don't just stride up to Jesus and say, all right, Jesus, give me the two or three things I need to knock off my list today, and then then I'll be good. Then I'll be the kind of man you you approve of. Jesus says there's only one who's good. But if you want to play this game, if you want to go down this road, I'll give you a list. How about this? How about just keeping the Ten Commandments? How about just half of the Ten Commandments? How about that? Why don't I just give you five? He says, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones, the man inquired? Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. And then he summarizes it with the the summary in Leviticus. And we've heard Jesus summarize this way before. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. What he's done here is he's given the second half of the 10 commandments that are about neighbor loving. They're the people related commandments. The first half of the Ten Commandments are about loving God. The second half are about loving neighbor. The first four and the last six is usually how we divide those up. And so Jesus is just focusing on the ones about loving your neighbor, kind of more what people talk about the horizontal, you know, your relationship to other people. He's focusing on these, and he's saying, okay, I'm not even going to go into the loving God stuff. I'm just going to start with the loving your neighbor. How about that? How about you keep these commandments? And he summarizes it, love your neighbor as yourself. Can, can you do that? What's, what's the guy's response? This guy is bold. 1920, he says, all these I have kept. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, he's not going to allow it to rest there. He's not going to allow this guy to continue to think, yeah, I've got it all together. Because that's where he's going. His first mistake is thinking, Jesus, give me the list so that I can make sure that I can get in on my own strength. So first he's wrong by thinking he can be good. That's the, that's the first error he made. It's an impossible goodness. You can't be good. But Jesus says, all right, we'll go down this route. Keep the commandments. And the guy says, I've done that. I've kept the commandments. And so you might have noticed, anybody Ten Commandments experts here got to memorize? Did you notice he left one off? Anyone notice he left one off? The very last commandment is do not covet. He left that one off. Isn't that interesting? Jesus left that one off, because he's, he wants this guy to feel the weight of it. This guy knows the commandments. This guy knows the commandments. It's not like he doesn't know them. He's, he's trying to get Jesus to restate them for him, to, you know, to summarize them, to give him the most important ones. But he knows the commandments, especially the ten, the big ten. And he knows that Jesus left off the last one. And so Jesus is going to let him experience the impossibility of a situation. He's going to lead him down all the other ones, and then he's going to say, love your neighbor as yourself. And now he's going to just, that final jab, he's going to let him feel that he's, he's got a coveting problem. He's desiring. Coveting just means to desire. In the New Testament, the word is often over-desire or sinful desire or lust. It, it's it's when, you, when you desire and long for something and say, that's the thing that will do it for me. God, I'm willing to have this free open hand and I'm going to give you all these parts of my life. But this one thing, God, I need this. I will die without this. I've got to have this relationship, God. God, I've got to have the perfect family. Or God, I, I need this job. I need this respect. I need this position. God, if, if you would just bless me in this area, then I, I'll give myself to you in other areas. Or God, I just, I just need peace at home. God, I just, I just need some financial security. If I had that, then I would feel secure. Then I could serve you freely, God. And, and that's what the word covet means. It, it means when you long for and desire someone else's things, someone else's wife, someone else's security, someone else's position. That's what the Ten Commandments are talking about. And throughout the New Testament, that word is, is pointed at idolatry, the worship of other gods. See, when, when, we, when we long for that thing, when we, we grasp at those things, where we want to cling to those things and lust after those things more than anything else, we're raising them up as God and we're saying, Jesus, you're not enough, only this is. Only the job is enough, or only the relationship is enough, or only this hobby is enough, or what, whatever it may be. We all have these separate things that we, we struggle to let go of, right? And so Jesus kind of jabs him right there where it hurts in, in verse 21. Or yeah, in verse 21, Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, then go sell all your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Jesus knows that he's willing to give it all except for this one thing that he's just going to hold back. And he's saying, no, I, I can't give that away. And I think it's clear throughout the New Testament that, that Jesus doesn't ask every person. To, you know, This isn't necessarily a call applicationally for everyone in the church to go sell everything they have and, and come follow me around Jim Jones style. You know, this, this is not, it's not some call to, to literally sell everything you have. But it was to him. Because that was the one thing he wasn't willing to let go of. And I think we need to feel the weight of that. That there's a goodness that's impossible. That, that there's all these other things that get in the way of us being the kind of kingdom people that God wants us to be. Because we continue to cling to whatever that may be. It may not be possessions with you. It may not be your things. It may be your relationships. It may be your family. It may be your your job or or a position of respect or or control in in daily parts of your life. But whatever that thing is that you're unwilling to let go of, Jesus is going to push you there. He's going to press into your life and say, you may need to let go of that. You may need to give that up. Or at least not cling to it so tightly. Not worship it. I think when we think about goodness, you know, he's he's talking about how how can I be good enough to get in the kingdom? We, we often think about Mother Teresa. Oh, skipped ahead there. Can you go back? It's going it's going wild. It's like moving on its own. I'm not touching it, I swear. Can you go to Mother Teresa? <laughs> I think, anyway, of Mother Teresa. You may not be able to visualize her in your mind, but I think of Mother Teresa as an example of, of goodness, right? As this, this poor woman, if you don't know who she was, this, this famous nun who just gave her whole life and gave everything she had, gave all her possessions for the poor. And, and that was how she sought to, uh, to follow Jesus. And, and a lot of, if, if you know her theology, a lot of us disagree quite a bit with her theology. Um, but we still may see her as an example of someone who, who gave herself, who, who just gave everything she had, held nothing back. And what I want to challenge you with is, is Jesus' standard of goodness is so far beyond ours. You know, if, if Mother Teresa is your standard, you're going to be gunning for that standard. And you're going to be thinking you can achieve it because she's this other person on earth. Or you may just be looking at like your Sunday school teacher or that that third grade teacher you had that was great, I if I could just be like that person, then I'd have my life together. Or maybe you have a really great mom or dad or grandpa or grandma. Or, you know, there's just someone in your life that you look up to. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. It's good to have those good examples to follow. But, but we can fall short and, and not get what Jesus is trying to help us understand here, that, that the goodness of a kingdom is an impossible standard. And, and there are people that, that, are, that do great things, that are good people and do good things and help others. We want to be like that, but that still doesn't get us across that chasm. That, that's still not the standard of Jesus. Jesus says there's only one who is good. There's only one who is good. It's not a matter of, of just a list of good things. It's not a matter of, oh, here's Mother Teresa. She's good. I'm going to be like her, and then I'll be good enough to get in. Jesus says there's only one who is good. And we all have things in our life that we covet, that we desire, more than Jesus himself. Stop looking at
2: screens.
1: (laughs) There's only one thing that we should desire more than anything else, and that's God himself. There's only one who is good. But we let all these other things get in the way. We let these other distractions (laughs) draw our attention away. As, As we think about how to apply this, I don't want you to be discouraged. I mean, I want you to know that we want you to be good. We want you to do good things. And I thank God that I get to pastor a church where basically I feel like I'm pastoring pastors, where so many of you are involved in ministry in your your neighborhoods and in your schools and in your communities, and you're, you're doing good things. You're helping people. One of the things I'm amazed about, I just got an announcement from someone, you know, called me last week, letting me know they were going to get to adopt A baby, and we've got a lot of I don't think I've ever been in a church where I've seen so much adoption happening, which is a beautiful thing. Because, I mean, what better picture of the kingdom of a God who adopted us? We were fatherless, and he he made us his own. And so many people uh, loving the orphans and and the fatherless through adoption. I think that's a beautiful thing. And I know so many of you involved in in the schools and so many involved in just loving your own kids and their friends well, and involved uh, with sports, and involved in in community and benevolence-type ministries supporting missionaries, doing all kinds of different things, ministering to people in your sphere of influence, not just helping people by doing good things, but also speaking good words and, and speaking life into other people's lives, sharing who Christ is and helping them to understand the glories of, of what God's done for us. So, so I want to say thank you for being those kinds of people. And I'm just amazed and, and humbled by the kind of people in this church and so we want you to do these good things but just just make sure you don't mistake um, the goodness that that you get to live out as a result of what God's done for you don't mistake that for a way to get into the kingdom don't don't confuse those things and get the order mixed up and start to think that I can be good enough to get in just just always keep first and foremost in your mind that that God has been good to me and I didn't deserve it and I'm a sinner and I'm broken things and i've messed things up but god has forgiven me by the cross and that's how i'm able to do good things that's how i am able to be set free and to be good for others well the last thing we see is as he kind of continues with the this rich young rulers that it's impossible riches should i no okay let's put that down in verse 22 after jesus challenged him to give up everything and follow him It says when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Literally, he had many things. He had a lot of stuff. And so we see this tension with the impossible riches of the kingdom. This competition between our riches that we want to cling to and the riches that God has to offer us in kingdom life. In verse 23, Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And I just want to make sure you're listening to this, because he's talking to you. I know a lot of you are thinking, yeah, he's talking about that, those people in that other neighborhood, the big houses, right? No, No, he's talking to you. The poorest people here, by first century standards, were rich people. Jesus is talking to all of us we are Americans, we are rich we are the richest people in the world the poorest of us in this room You know, some of you I know you're, you're sitting in a corner somewhere and you're bitter and you're saying not me, I don't have enough money you know, I only have two TVs, I don't have four and mine's not a big plasma like my neighbor's okay? he's, he's talking to people in a context where they didn't have you know, a change of clothes okay? we, we are all rich by first century standards and he's talking to us. And he says something that's very disappointing. Um, he says it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I had the children's book, and you may have had this children's book too. And if you didn't, just bear with me. But, but I had the children's book that described this gate going into the wall of Jerusalem that was called the eye of the needle. And the camel had to get down on his knees, and he had to take the boxes off, and he had to scoot through... In, into, the, into the gate, right? Anybody heard that story? Anyone? Okay, a smattering of you. I'm sad to say it's not true. Um, that, it actually it has some historical rooting. Okay, there was, some, there was a gate like that, but it, it was like later, you know, these people knew the Jesus store, story and, and then named the gate that later on. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was talking about a needle, this big, well, that big, right? He's talking about the eye of a needle, right? Anybody know what a needle is? It's a metal thing, and you sew with it. You put thread through it, so the hole is just big enough to get thread through, okay? And he's talking about a camel. Camels are like this big, right? Okay? And he's saying to us, rich people, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than it is for us rich people to get into the kingdom of heaven. Like I said, it's kind of disappointing, right? He's saying we're in an, an impossible situation. He's not saying, okay, if you get on your knees and you take the boxes off, you can scoot in. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you can't get in. So you're out. And, you know, as part of me wants to be dramatic and just shut the Bible and say, all right, well, see you later. See you next week. <laughs> but, but Jesus doesn't end it there. Matthew gives us a little more in 25 and 26. In 25, it says, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. And I've, I've told you before, this is like, that Greek word for they were freaked out, okay? And they said, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? This, this was blowing their minds. They knew he was talking about them, too. They knew they were rich, too, by, by first century standards. They knew that he was saying people that have anything can't be saved on their own. It's an impossible situation. Well, who then can be saved? And like I said, we're supposed to feel the weight of that. We're not, we're not supposed to jump to the end of the story. We're, we're almost there. One more verse. But we're supposed to feel the weight of that. We're supposed to feel the weight of the reality that it's impossible. That we can't bridge the chasm. We can't jump the divide. We can't bring ourselves in to the kingdom. Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. It's an impossible situation on our own. On our own, apart from God's grace, we will worship our stuff. We will worship our TVs and our cars and our houses and our iPods and our whatever else is. I don't know what, what, what all there is out there. We, we will worship our things. We will worship our riches and we will give them up. And we'll say, you know what? I'd rather have riches now and give up kingdom riches. I'd rather give up the ultimate riches, the ultimate pleasure. But again and again, Jesus says it's not... It's not like riches now or no riches. It's riches now or ultimate riches later. It's, it's short pleasures now or ultimate pleasures later on. Jesus doesn't say to give up pleasure, to give up joy. He says ultimate joy and ultimate pleasure and ultimate fulfillment is found in him and is found in the kingdom. It's not, we, we have this, this mixed up idea about religion that like God wants us to be unhappy and he just wants us to give up everything and... He may want you to give up some things now, but he's telling you that that the kingdom is ultimate, and it's ultimate joy. We we looked at it before. It's like a treasure in a field. The man just sold everything he had to go and buy that field because it was more valuable than everything else. It was more pleasurable than everything else. There was more joy in it than all those other things that we've tried and we've tried and we've tried. As we think about how to use the riches we have, I, I think we need to to kind of help the rubber meet the road. What do we do with the riches we have? Because I'm really serious. We are, we're, we're rich. We have to do something with it. And this isn't just a big trick for me to, you know, start a new building program or something. This is, this is, you know, legitimately, what does the Bible tell us to do with our money? And I went to First uh, Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. You can go ahead and write this down. And he basically encourages us to use what we have for God's glory okay they're, they're tools the riches we have are resources the, the money the things we have if you have a boat use it for God's glory bless you know, bless some orphan with it bless some friends and neighbors with it if, if you have a car use it for God's glory if you have money give freely share with others if you have food share food with those who don't or, or have Parties and worship God. I mean, so many of the sacrifices in the Old Testament were just about having parties to worship God. We think God was all about them just burning everything they had, but, but most of them, if you read the Old Testament, most of them were barbecues. They went and they cooked it, and then they ate it. They, they ate the, the sacrifice that they made to God. And, and so there's there's ways to use our resources to honor God, to glorify God with our riches. I found a picture. There we go. The pictures are back. I found a picture of of tools. Just just to let that sink into our mind. You know, you don't buy a tool to leave it encased in plastic, never to be opened. You buy a tool to use it, right? It's to accomplish something. And everything that we've been given, every resource that you have, the riches that you have at your disposal are tools for God's kingdom and for God's glory. And Paul says this to Timothy. Uh, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. These books are known as the pastoral epistles, which means basically they're Paul's instructions on how to pastor people, how to shepherd churches. And that's what these three books are about. And so Paul is teaching Timothy here, saying, Timothy, this is how you need to, to shepherd, how to pastor rich people. So since I have a church full of rich people, I'm going to share this with you as well, okay? He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Don't think that it's all about you nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So you don't feel guilty about it, and don't be arrogant about it either, but be thankful to God. And put your hope in Him. Let Him be your hope, not the gifts. Hope in the giver, not the gifts themselves. And just recognize them as as gifts. Yeah, I got a gift. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. So don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, which can come and go. But put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Again, Jesus isn't telling you to give up your riches to be poor in the future. He's saying, give it away now for the ultimate riches, the, the treasures that you lay up in heaven. For the life that is truly life. Spend what you have for his glory. Give it away for his glory. And I'm going to leave that to you, how to do that. God, God's put orphans and widows in, around you. God's put people that need to see Him around you. God's put friends that are going through hard times around you. God's put family members that need help around you. God's put people that that need whatever gift and skill you have, just not even talking about money, just think about the skills that you have that other people just don't have that you can help them with. And, And you can model to them how Christ is a generous God that gave himself for us, that spent what he had for our benefit. Well, you probably want to hear the end of the uh, alligator story. You want to hear the end? Just walk away. Let's. Now we don't need to know about that. Um, she, uh, she's coming over the hill. She's seeing her son be dragged into the water to be suffocated. And, and uh, as I said, all she, all she could really do was scream, right? I mean, she, just, she was just screaming Jesus help me and what she said was that she hadn't even really finished screaming when something caught her eye over on the right and she saw coming over the hill from this side um, the grounds crew in one of their little trucks one guy with a shovel one guy with a shotgun she hadn't even gotten it out yet she, had, she hadn't even called out for help really it was just Jesus you know and she's just starting to scream and, and there they are they, they weren't there because she called them they were they were coming already. Help was already on the way. She called out they were there and, and her her son was rescued and I want us to feel the weight of the impossible situation that we're in. feel the weight of it. like I said the ending the last verse is, yeah with man, things are impossible with, with God it's possible. So feel the weight of it, but but take hope in the reality that Yes, it's an impossible situation, but, but Jesus bridged that gap. Jesus makes it possible. He brings us over to the other side. And because of that, we can be of use in this world. We don't just have to wander around collecting things to be more rich than our neighbors, but we can then spend what we have for God's glory. We can begin bridging the gap. God does this incredible thing where he actually uses fallen, broken people like us that are still struggling with, with these idolatries and these lusts and these this coveting, this stuff that we're still trying to let go of. And, and he can use us, as broken as we are, to bless others. As beggars who have, who have found bread, sharing with other beggars. Hey, look, here it is. I found it. It's not me. It's him. Let's pray. Father, I pray... That you would allow us to just rejoice over the reality that you've you've bridged the gap and you've you've fixed it for us. That you have saved us. That we were lost, and you've brought us back to yourself. Lord, I pray that you would transform us. That you would use us. That that, that reality, the, both the impossibility of our situation. And then the grace that you provide to, to make it possible would just unleash us. That you would, you would turn us loose to use the resources we have. Our, our money, but not just our money, Lord, the gifts and, and skills that you've given us. And the time that we have that we would take time with people as, as Jesus modeled. Taking time with, with those that society says don't matter. Lord, help us to be those kinds of people. Help us to live out the impossible values of your kingdom. We pray this
0: in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you guys will stand with us. Um, We're going to sing one last song. And this is just, we taught this to you last week. um, But just basically, this is a a call to align ourselves with who we know God is, who he has told us that we are in him, and then to take action and go out. So you guys will sing this out with us.
2: See you.